come with me. We're going on a fantastic cruise. Pick your destination with news tips and reviews. But here is an item you might not have thought of. All of the things under the water. Nature surrounds us with elegant features. You can't go on a cruise and not see the creatures. So let's make some magic. Let's get ecstatic. Instantly classic. Maybe romantic. The wildlife around you. Cinematic on your fantastic cruise. Bon Beanie, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Fantastic Cruising. I hope everybody is having a great day out there, wherever and whenever you are listening to this podcast. Before we get started, I have some exciting news. Fantastic Cruising has had an Instagram account since it started, but we really haven't done a lot with it. Well, that has changed. We are starting to become active Instagram users. That's right. We are joining the 21st century and the Instagram revolution. Is that a thing. I don't think that's actually a thing. But anyway, look, we are going to be on Instagram. So if you want to find Fantastic Cruising, you can search Instagram for Fantastic Cruising, or you can go to Instagram.com slash Fantastic Cruising. Also, make sure to look for us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. Just go over to YouTube and search Fantastic Cruising over there, or look in the show notes. All these different links are in the show notes. And another great way to get in touch with us is to join the Fantastic Cruising community over on Facebook. It is, we just reached 300, which is super exciting. So actually we broke 300. We reached it and then we broke it just like that. Over 300 people on the Fantastic Cruising community. Thank you to everybody who is a part of that. A lot of great people over there. A lot of great conversation. A lot of good information. And it's a good place to ask questions, whether it be about this podcast or cruising in general or creatures. And finally, one other bit of news I wanted to announce to everybody. No, I don't know when my next cruise is going to be. But I do know that there are some new things you can get over on the Teespring site that are related to Fantastic Cruising. I released a couple of special sort of Halloween, Day of the Dead designs. You can get them as t-shirts and stickers. And uh, this weird cat mermaid thing that I called a permade. I didn't make that up, though. That that already existed. That's a thing. As many of you pointed out at, on Facebook, you had pajamas and t-shirts and all storybooks, all sorts of things over there. But you can get a permade sticker and that sort of thing over on Teespring. Again, all these links are in the notes. So head on over to Facebook, join in the fun so you can meet some cool people. And speaking of meeting some cool people, I had the opportunity to do just that, and I got to meet some people getting off the Carnival Paradise, and they're members of the Fantastic Cruising community. One of them goes by BF Fielder on Facebook. The other one is Mallory Pfeffer. So really great to meet people. That is one of the joys of doing this podcast and the YouTube stuff that I have found is is not just the cruising and, and talking to other people about cruising on this podcast, but really just meeting you guys is always a highlight of this whole experience. It, I know people sometimes get excited to meet me. Let me tell you, I am just as excited to meet you. It is an honor and a pleasure every time I meet one of you guys. So please, if you are ever in the Tampa area, give me a shout. I may or may not be able to come say hi if you're if you're in the area or getting off the ship or something, but if I can, you can bet your bottom dollar I'm going to give it my best shot. So uh, let me know if you're going to be around the Tampa Bay port. All right, now on a bit of a, a little bit of a down note, I did want to definitely mention the recent things that happened with Hurricane Dorian. If you're listening to this in the future, Hurricane Dorian was a historically strong hurricane, category five hurricane that went right over the northern part of the Bahamas. And then it sort of lost some energy, but it still kind of skirted along Florida, went up the coast, did some damage in the Carolinas, um, but significantly more damage in the Bahamas. There was billions of dollars worth of property loss, but even sadder than that, there was a lot of human life that was lost. I don't even know the numbers at the time of this recording, but, uh, you know, my heart goes out to the people of the Bahamas. So I just wanted to mention that. And also... I wanted to mention that, you know, as a cruising community, as cruisers, many of the people that listen to this podcast are primarily Caribbean cruisers. I know there are exceptions to that. And I think the majority of the cruising industry is probably focused in the Caribbean. There, Obviously, there's other spots in the world where cruising is very big and popular, but, 
you know, when I think of cruising, maybe it's because I live here, but I think of the Caribbean and one of the most popular destinations is Nassau in the Bahamas. Now, I will say Nassau was mostly spared from my understanding, as well as a lot of the private islands that are in the Bahamas seem to have not been hit as hard as some of those northern parts. But um, but still, you know, I, I feel like the Bahamas are an important part of me and who I am as a cruiser. And, uh, and I feel a certain responsibility to that. And apparently so did all of the major cruise lines because they have been really stepping forward and trying to be really helpful to the Bahamas. So I wanted to kind of talk about some of that and what the different cruise lines are doing and how they're helping just to kind of celebrate that and um, and also just to make people aware of it. Maybe there's a way you can help to support the cruise lines helping or just to support the Bahamas. It doesn't have to be through the cruise lines, obviously, but anything that we can do. So one thing you can do if you are sailing Royal Caribbean, we'll start with them. They uh, they sent out a thing from the Empress of the Seas. There is a letter that's been circulating around that probably many of you have seen that they're donating a million dollars worth of help, relief to the Bahamas. Uh, that seems to include things like lots and lots of water, bottles of water, generators, food, and they are also matching dollar per dollar their employees and guest donations to help with hurricane relief. So um, that's one way that you can help. And it's really cool. The Empress of the Seas actually stopped in off of Grand Bahama to deliver these things on their way to Nassau with a ship full of, of cruise passengers. So um, so Nassau does seem to be doing pretty good, like I said, but um, that's that's really great. So the, the cruise lines, that's the thing that I've noticed is the cruise lines are, some of them are, they're, you know, they're doing things with money, trying to donate things money-wise, but one of the things that they can do that may be different than maybe a lot of other organizations that are trying to help is they have the ships and the size of the ships to really get resources down and around that area. And there's another letter floating around from the Celebrity Equinox, kind of a similar thing, and they're, of course, owned by Royal Caribbean, so it's probably part of the same relief fund there, but they actually had to divert their crews from going to Freeport and Nassau. And I think they, the people weren't allowed to get off of the ship, but they were also uh, delivering goods. And uh, both of those ships did, had kind of a unique opportunity, kind of cool. They gave people like cards to, to write messages to the people of the Bahamas they were going to deliver sort of inspirational. So I guess sort of hitting on all fronts, you know, they're hitting with money, they're hitting with supplies, they're hitting with the delivery of those supplies and they're hitting with, you know, maybe, maybe a little encouragement and people know that, Hey, we, we know you're here not to be outdone. Carnival corporation is also playing a big role and they are getting supplies down to the Bahamas. I don't know that they're taking them on their own cruise ships. Maybe they may be, but I think from what I can tell, they're working with other shipping companies. But here's the really cool thing. So Carnival Cruise Line is donating a, a million dollars to help with hurricane disaster relief. And then the family of that owns Carnival is actually matching that and donating another million. So that's $2 million coming basically essentially from Carnival to help with this hurricane relief. Now, similarly, Norwegian Cruise Lines is also doing something like that. They are getting supplies down to the Bahamas and they're donating what they say a, a minimum of a million dollars to hurricane relief. And then they're doing their campaign, which is called Hope Starts Here. And you can actually go on their website and donate money directly to them. I don't know if you can do that on the other cruise lines websites. There, I'm, there's lots of ways, I'm sure, that you can donate money to help with this. But they're going to match dollar for dollar on that as well. So the the big three, the big three cruise lines right there are, you know, they're putting their their money where their mouth is and they're they're really making an effort to help, which is should be applauded. And I mean, I, I do applaud them for that. Absolutely. One hundred percent. I also expect that from them because they do have money and the Bahamas is one of the reasons why they have a lot of money. So they need to definitely support the people that live down there, a lot of them are employees like Royal Caribbean pointed out, you know, a lot of their staff that works at like Coco Cay and stuff, they, they live in Grand Bahama. So uh, it's really good to see the, the big three helping out and they're not the only ones helping out Disney. I mean, okay, 
maybe Disney. I don't know. Are they the big four with cruise lines? They're not as big, but of course it's Disney. Is there anything bigger than Disney? I'm pretty sure Disney's bigger than the United States government at this point. But anyway, they are helping out too. So I, I should stop teasing them because they're donating a million dollars and um, they, they had people down on their castaway key down there and they got them some supplies. But, uh, but yeah, so they're, they're helping to donate some money and even some of the smaller cruise lines are doing their part. You guys probably have heard of the Bahamas Paradise Cruise Line. They operate two older cruise ships that they bought from uh, Costa and Carnival, which is kind of the same thing, really. But uh, they, they run fairly inexpensive cruises down just to the Bahamas and back. And they actually are there. They took some people like first responders as well as evacuees from the Bahamas back down to the Bahamas on one of their ships. And they brought supplies and they're offering for free transport up to the United States for people that want to evacuate from the Bahamas. Of course, you have to have the right paperwork, they said. But uh, but that's pretty cool. And they're doing all this completely free of charge. So, you know, even even these smaller companies giving it their go. And uh, it's just it's just really heartwarming to see all of that coming together. Of course, you know, let me just say I'm focusing on the cruise lines and all that they're doing because this is a cruising podcast. Um, if you guys can help out out there, we're talking billions of dollars of damage, not to mention, you know, lives that were lost and, and things. So uh, if there's ways that you guys can help. I would urge you to do that as well. Special thank you to Kimbra for helping me collect all of that information. As you guys know, news is not my forte. So she helped me collect that data. Well, on to a little bit more cheery stuff. A couple weeks ago, I put out a poll on the Fantastic Cruising Community over on Facebook, and it was a poll to see which one of these was your favorite marine reptile. We did the whole mammal thing before that. I was going to talk about it last week, but since I had John Klaikowski on here and, uh, you know, he and I can can chat for a minute, and that podcast is going a little bit longer, so I didn't want to didn't want to waste people's time with this when I had the the rooster himself on board. But uh, but today I did want to go back to that and see what people said. This is what happened. 101 people voted on their favorite marine reptile, and I gave them choices. These were the options they had. Sea turtles, marine iguanas, crocodiles, and sea snakes. So these are all of the marine reptiles that I know of, and I, it's probably all of them that are alive today. I should should give that disclaimer. I mean, if you go back prehistoric times, there's a lot more to choose from, but not today. Folks, I was a little disappointed because <laughs> 81 out of 101 people chose sea snakes. No, that's not that's not true at all. They chose sea turtles. Look, I know sea turtles are popular, but really 81, 81, 80% of you <laughs> chose sea turtles. That wouldn't be so bad, but only only 10 people chose the marine iguana. I mean, do you know about marine iguanas? These are really cool creatures. Seven of you chose crocodiles. Hello. That's my favorite are the crocodiles. Seven, only seven out of 101 chose crocodiles. Obviously, we need to do some more cruise creature crocodile stuff so I can get you guys aware of how cool and amazing these animals are. And then the saddest one of all, the poor sea snakes, they only got three votes. Out of 101 people, sea snakes just coming in with a with a three. So <laughs> I thought that was fun, and uh, thank you everybody who participated in that. A couple of people did give me more specifics. Joe said Cuban crocodile. That is my second favorite species of crocodilian, Joe. So bonus points to you. Kimbra said Kemp's Ridley and green turtles and leatherbacks. Kimbra, just just say that you like all the sea turtles. There's only seven of them. You you named almost half right there. Anyway. Uh, let's see. What else did we get here? More leatherback specific things. Ah, yes. And my my good mate over in Australia, he put a kangaroo. Now, I'm not going to go into what makes a reptile a reptile, David, because I know that, you know, he's just uh, he's just pulling my chain, as they say, with the kangaroo. But it is it is a little gif he put in there, a, a entertaining kangaroos at the beach. So they I don't know, marine kangaroos. One of them has a collar on. I want a pet kangaroo. All right, that's a bit of a tangent. Well, since y'all like sea turtles so much, I thought I might as well do that as the cruise creature this week. But I'm not just going to do sea turtles 
as a whole, I'm going to specifically target the most popular sea turtle that I saw listed in that whole forum of, of questions in the poll. So that would be the leatherback sea turtle. Leatherback sea turtles, they are impressive. I mean, they are really impressive. They are one, there's, like I said, there's seven species of sea turtles. I have encountered three different species diving. I've seen four of the different species in person. And um, the only one that is in Florida and the Caribbean that I haven't seen in person is the leatherback sea turtle. And the reason is they're just really open water turtles. They don't come near shores often and they're just not encountered as, as much. They're also not really in Tampa Bay too frequently. They're more closer to the Miami area as far as Florida goes, but they're throughout the Caribbean. Their range actually is huge. They're all over the earth, basically anywhere there there's ocean, as long as it's not too cold, but they can handle some cooler temperatures, which we'll get into in a minute. Now, here here's what I want to focus on, though. So leatherback sea turtles are the biggest turtles. They're the biggest sea turtles or the biggest turtles. You could make an argument maybe that some of the big land tortoises like Galapagos tortoise or Aldabras tortoise, maybe they weigh a little bit more, but uh, but they don't have a beat for size. The, the record for leatherback sea turtle is uh, an animal that was at least seven feet long and maybe maybe eight feet long. There's some conflicting reports out there, but at least seven feet long. The average size of these guys is probably about six to seven feet long. And the record for weight is somewhere around 1,400 or 1,500 pounds. So these are big, big turtles. And they're different even as far as, I mean, sea turtles are different than most turtles, but leatherback sea turtles are different than most sea turtles. So one of the ways they're different is being a little bit bigger than the other species, but also they get the name leatherback because they don't have that bony shell. So turtles are born with a shell. It's made out of bone. Their skeleton is underneath that that skin that makes up their shell. And as they grow, their bony shells grow with them. Uh, well, leatherback sea turtles, they don't have that. They do have bones. They're not invertebrates, but they, um, they don't have the bony shell. It's very leathery skin. Their scales are even different. They don't really have like keratin-based scales like, like other turtles do. They're really, really quite strange. They also have a layer of fat. And one of the really interesting things about leatherback sea turtles, and one of the things that allows them to live out in the open ocean as well as they do and have such a broad range, they have the biggest range of any turtle by far. And that is that they have this this fat layer, but also, you know, we always hear about reptiles being called cold-blooded. These turtles have the ability to alter their body temperature internally. So that does that make them warm-blooded? I mean, that's kind of an endothermic thing. You know, people say, well, what makes a reptile a reptile? The thing I always hear is cold-blooded, which is a very inaccurate way of describing what that is and also describes almost every animal on the planet except birds and mammals and a few exceptions to the rule like the leatherback sea turtle. So basically these guys are able to utilize a lot of energy. They sleep and rest hardly ever. They're almost always moving and by by moving those muscles, um, they're producing some heat. And so that fat insulates it and creates sort of a, almost a, a wetsuit. And their body temperature can be several degrees, even like 20, 30 degrees warmer than the ocean water. So that's pretty interesting about them. Another thing that makes them different is if you look at sea turtle skulls, uh, their skull is a lot different shape than other sea turtles, especially their jawbone. So their, their lower jawbone. Different sea turtles eat different things. Green sea turtles primarily feed on seagrasses. They'll eat other things too, but mostly seagrasses. Loggerhead sea turtles eat a lot of crustaceans like crabs. And so their jaws are sort of adapted for these food choices that they have. Green sea turtles' jaws, their beaks kind of act like scissors and just kind of cut through grass, where a loggerhead turtle has a huge head compared to its shell size, its body size, and its jaw is huge and, and flat and good for crushing those exoskeletons when they're going to have that crab for lunch. Well, leatherback sea turtles have kind of a unique diet. They feed almost exclusively on jellyfish, so they are not eating 
the crustaceans and, and things that the other, they're not eating seagrasses. They're almost eating nothing but soft-bodied animals. Now, they may occasionally eat some squid or something, but almost exclusively jellyfish. So that means that they don't have to have big, strong jaws, and they don't. Their bottom jaw is much more dainty, should I say dainty, <laughs> than, than the leather, than the, uh, than the loggerhead sea turtles and the green sea turtles and the Kemp's Ridley sea turtles and all these other species. So very, very specifically adapted for open water, and they basically follow their food around. I mean, I get it. I follow my food around, too. If you're going to carry pizzas around, I'll follow you around for days, weeks even, until that pizza goes bad. But anyway, that's what they do. They follow their food around. They eat a lot of food. Think about how many jellyfish a a 1,400-pound, six-and-a-half-foot-long sea turtle has to eat to get that big. It's a lot of jellies. Now, it's important that they're eating those jellies, too, because jellies tend to bloom, which means there's a whole bunch of them. Which, by the way, a group of jellies is called a smack. It's kind of just a little fun trivia there for you. So they're out there smacking away at these smacks, which is important because jellies do sting. Some of them sting. A lot of them, most of them sting. Have you ever been stung by a jelly? I have lots of times. It's not fun. And uh, they also eat little baby fish, which grow up to be big fish, which a lot of humans like to eat. So uh, their population needs to be kept in check. So when they have these blooms of smacks, uh, they don't eat all of our commercial fish and uh, it sting everybody and ruin everybody's day and summer and weekend vacations, all that stuff. So the leatherback sea turtle is super important for that very reason. Now, in order to help them get these squiggly, squishy little jellies down, they actually have these weird looking spines that are kind of in their throat. If you look up, Google a picture of leatherback sea turtle mouth. I don't think you'll get anything too weird. But anyway, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's really weird looking stuff going on in there. And it keeps the jellies and other things from swimming out of their mouths. (laughs) Because they're basically eating things alive. And they're going to be alive until, I guess, they get digested. That's kind of gruesome, right? But that's that's really what's going on. That is what they are actually doing. And, and, And when I say that they're traveling around following their food... We're talking really, really far. Like there have been studies of tagged leatherback sea turtles that left like South America and ended up around Spain and stuff. So, I mean, they're they're traveling a long distance to keep up with the food. You got to go. They're like they're like the opposite of food trucks. You know, the food trucks go to the people. They just go and follow the food around. So they're like their own food truck. Does that even make sense? I don't know. They're also really fast. They're like the fastest reptile that there is. They've been clocked at like almost 22 miles per hour. That might not sound very fast to us in our combustion engine vehicles, but that is fast out there. And uh, let's just say that it puts the whole thing to rest about turtles being slow. That's all conspiracy and lies, people. Turtles can move. They can move fast. And leatherbacks are the fastest of the turtles. But, uh, but anyway, they're, they're also good divers. They can dive deeper than just about any other animal out there that has four appendages. With the exception of things like sperm whales and some of the beaked whales, they are the deepest diving air breathers that, there, that exist that, today that we know of. They can dive down over 4,000 feet underwater. That is impressive. I mean, I think the deepest I've ever dove without a tank was probably about 60 feet. And I thought that was a lot. So 4,000 feet, that's no joke. Leatherback sea turtles are really, really cool. And they're also a threatened species. Now, their population's not doing as bad as the Kemp's Ridley and some of the other sea turtle species, but they do need our help. When you hear people harping about plastic, this is the animal that you often hear as being threatened by it. Now, look, I'm not going to lie to you. There's not a lot of sea turtles out there eating plastic straws. Now, I'm not saying that I'm in favor of plastic straws. I'm not. Plastic straws are a plastic that you use one time, throw it away, and we use a lot of them. How many straws have you used in your lifetime? <laughs> but straws are straws are a great way to get people, make people aware of the problem, but the real problem is just single-use plastic. And one of the biggest threats to sea turtles is actually not straws at all. It's actually plastic bags. It is estimated 
that an alarming one-third of leatherback sea turtles have ingested plastic bags. And that's because plastic bags floating in the water look like jellyfish. And so these sea turtles are making mistakes and they're eating plastic bags. And that doesn't digest well. Plastic is not something you want to swallow. Trust me. Don't do this experiment at home. Don't eat plastic bags. Okay, just take my word for it and the word of of a lot of scientists who have unfortunately found plastic bags in the digestive systems blocking everything up in deceased sea turtles. So that is why you got to use those reusable bags and we need to we need to cut down on our use of plastics. This is one of the main reasons why. And leatherback sea turtles face some other challenges too. They don't have a lot of natural predators except for when they're little cuz they're cute little like little baby sea turtles, little leatherback sea turtles. They get eaten by ghost crabs and birds and all kinds of things. Jaguars. I mean, all kinds of things eat these little turtles. But once they get bigger, they don't have too much to worry about except for pollution. Eating plastic bags is only one of their things they have to worry about. Getting tangled in nets, caught as bycatch, all sorts of things. Another problem they run into is poaching. Some places they are still eaten, even considered like aphrodisiacs as, as eggs and stuff like that. Look, that's not real, people. Doesn't happen. And then, uh, and then also things like um, boat strikes is a huge issue for leatherback sea turtles, especially around Florida. They get hit by boats and then they get injured and they end up on shore. Another thing that's really dangerous for baby sea turtles, this is all the species for the most part, is that when they hatch... They hatch at night. Mom's long gone. Mom comes onto the beach. She lays her eggs in a hole, covers a hole. Oh, she digs a hole first. Just if you if you miss that part, she digs a hole first, lays the eggs, covers it up. She's gone. She gone. And then the little babies hatch, and they got to make their way to the ocean. And that's hard to do when you're a little baby, tiny baby on the beach. You can't see where the ocean is. So how do they know where to go? Well, they go towards the light. Yes, they go towards the light, and that light is normally the moonlight reflecting off of the water. That's, you know, for thousands of years, that's been the way to go. But now we got a lot of artificial lights, light pollution, lights on the beach, lights from hotels, street lights, all sorts of things. And that is really confusing. That's like imagine if your map quest, Google Maps app didn't work anymore. You'd be useless, right? You wouldn't be able to find your way to work. So this really confuses turtles. If you're staying in one of those places during hatching season, it's a good idea to, the best thing is to just turn the lights off at night. But if you really need lights for safety or something, if you can just uh, put in red lights, they won't, that won't confuse them as much or just make sure that, you know, the, the windows are tightly covered so that that light's not escaping out into the beach. So those little baby sea turtles don't get lost and confused. So that's your cruise creature, the leatherback sea turtle. It's a whopper. It's a doozy. I wanted to talk about sea snakes, but no, only three of you like sea snakes out there. So you got the leatherback sea turtle instead. Hey, we're going to talk about sea snakes at some point. Oh, by the way, there aren't any sea snakes really in the Caribbean. There's maybe one species in the entire Atlantic Ocean, so you don't have to worry about them. There are some snake eels. Anyway, that's another story. That's another cruise creature. On to the next topic. So I thought this week I would do sort of a top 10 list. This is going to be my top 10 list of things that I look for when I'm getting ready to plan a cruise. I'm kind of getting in that mode where I'm getting ready to plan a cruise. So what are the things I look for? So I've, I've made a list of 10 different things, and I'm going to go through them kind of like a countdown. They are the order that I, that I think about things and... In many cases, that's probably the order of importance to me, but not necessarily. It's just kind of the pattern that I do them at. But it, I think it does come out pretty much as an importance thing as well. So let's start with number 10. So for number 10, and I guess the first thing, that that's confusing, isn't it? Number 10, the first thing is the date. When am I going to go on this cruise? That is the first thing I start to target. One, I have to make sure that I can get that time off and that it's a time of year that is going to be good for me, compatible with me to cruise. Do I have anything else going on? Anything like that. So the date is item number 10. Number nine, I got to figure out who I'm going to be cruising with. Uh, I've never done a solo cruise. I don't know that I ever will do a solo cruise, but am I cruising with one person? Am I cruising with a group of people? 
that's important to know because it could impact all of the other items on this list, including item number 10, the date. So if I'm cruising with my friends Charlie and Bev, for example, well, are they going to be able to cruise the same time that, that we can cruise? So these are things that I have to consider. Who am I cruising with? Also, who am I cruising with? One of the topics I'm going to do soon is what makes a good cruise mate and a bad cruise mate? <laughs> you know, like I've cruised with a lot of people. I've been pretty fortunate, but uh, I, I can I can see how there are some people out there you don't want to cruise with. All right. Item number eight. Number eight. The next thing I look for is what cabin type do I want? Now, this is why it's important to know who I'm cruising with, because Am I cruising with two people? Am I cruising with three people? Am I cruising with seven people? How many people are going to be in the cabin with me? I've had as many as four people in a cabin. I've had as few as two people in a cabin. And I have cruised a couple times where I had friends cruising with me and they stayed in the cabin immediately next door. A big advantage if you have a balcony room because you can usually open up that little gate and you have like an extended balcony. And it also makes it a little bit kind of nicer if you're going going back and forth between rooms and having to go out in the hallway. So who I'm cruising with is nine, but what cabin type are we going to get? That is number eight. Number seven, the next thing I got to know about is how long is this cruise going to be? Now, obviously, I always want it to be like a 14-night cruise. But the reality is I haven't done that yet because I can't. So uh, if I could, I would. Every cruise would be a 14-night cruise with like two days off the ship and then back on. But that's not my reality. So how long is the cruise going to be? And uh, is it going to be a seven-night, an eight-night, a four-night, a three-night? Hopefully not a three-night. But maybe a five-night. That's what I've got to figure out. i got to know what duration of time I can cruise for. So that is number seven. Number six, where is this cruise leaving from? Now, I live in Tampa, so the most convenient port for me is going to be Tampa. Not only is it closer, and I don't have to get like a hotel or anything like that, it's also, um, I can park for free. I, you know, there's a lot of advantages to cruising out of Tampa. There are some disadvantages. Ships can't be very big or they don't make it under the Skyway Bridge <laughs> over Tampa Bay. Uh, so I got to figure out what port it's going to go out of. If it's any of the Florida ports, it's probably going to be fairly even. But I will say if it's going out of Cape Canaveral or Tampa, they're going to have a little bit of an advantage over other cruises because they're just a little bit quicker and more convenient for me to get to. So what port is it leaving out of the home port? That is number six. Number five, how much is this cruise going to cost? How much can I spend on the cruise? What is my budget for this cruise? And then that's going to help me narrow down my choices. So now I've kind of figured out who I'm cruising with, how long I would like it to be, where it's going to be cruising out of. So now I just need to figure out what my budget will allow me to do within these parameters. You know, if I want to do a five night cruise and I want to stay in a balcony, that may limit the type of cruise I can take because maybe my budget only allows for so much. It just depends. My budget isn't always the same for cruises. So, you know, it can, it can vary depending on, on the situation, but price is obviously one of the most important things to consider and not just the cost of the cruise itself, but also the cost of, do I have to get a hotel? Do I have to fly somewhere? Do I have to, you know, what, how many port stops is it? Because if there's more ports, I'm going to spend more money on excursions, that sort of thing. So all that has to be taken into consideration so I can figure out which cruise I'm going to take. Now, number four, I start looking at different cruise lines. And this is going to help me because I have all that other data from the other items I've mentioned. And so I can look at different cruise lines and sort of compare and contrast those all those same characteristics of the cruise to try and figure out, well, okay, maybe this one's going to give me a little bit more for my money. Or if I have a little bit bigger budget, maybe I can kind of, you know, spend a little bit extra and go on this slightly nicer cruise line. All these things will help me figure out which cruise line I'm going to take. And also, one of my goals, since I'm into cruising so much, is to experience different cruise lines. 
Now, those of you that have followed me on the Cruise Geeks up till this point know that I have cruised primarily on Carnival, although I have done a few Royal Caribbean cruises. I have done one Norwegian cruise, and I have done one Holland America cruise. So I've sort of tasted some of the different cruise lines. I'd still like to try Celebrity. I still want to try Princess. I still want to try and go on the Bahamas Paradise cruise line. And I definitely need more experience on Royal Caribbean and all those things. So I'm going to be looking at the different cruise lines and kind of weighing that into my decision on which cruise I'm going to book. Now, to be honest, to be fair, the reason I've sailed more carnivals because normally they can meet all the criteria I'm looking for at the price point that I'm able to, to come up with. So normally carnival has just been the cruise line that's fit my budget, but you know, I want to try the different ones. So down the road, I'm hoping to expand on that at least a little bit. Now, number three is the cruise ship. So once I figured out what cruise line I'm going to go on, now I'm looking at ships and the, the ships that I'm going to look for are going to um, be based on the size, the age, uh, the amenities that they have. Have I ever sailed on this ship before? All these sorts of things are, are things I'm going to take into consideration when I'm looking to book my cruise. I want to make sure that I get on a cruise ship that I'm going to be comfortable with, which let's be honest, that's pretty much any cruise ship. So I don't really know why I said that, but <laughs> there are advantages though. There are some cruise ships that I have enjoyed more than others for sure. And just like there are cruise lines I want to try, there are different cruise ships specifically that I want to try. I, I would like to eventually try the Mardi Gras on Carnival. And I of course want to try the Oasis class ships on Royal Caribbean, those giant ships are something that, that I want to eventually experience, as well as, like we talked about, the different quantum class type ships last week with John Klaikowski. So there's there's a lot of different ones I want to try. The Celebrity Edge looks really intriguing to me. But the cruise ship is important. It's an important part of the factors that I take into consideration when planning my next cruise. Now, number two on the list, and so... This is sort of the order I do this in, but I kind of jump back and forth. It's kind of like making a little bit of a, of a bartering system, you know, like, hey, I, I got this much money to spend. I want to try this ship. Oh, no, that's not going to work. Let's go back to step number six and try a different home port, see if we can get our needs met there. I kind of go back and forth. But ultimately, one of the most important things I'm looking for, this is going to come as no surprise to most of you who know me a little bit, are the port stops. Where's the ship going? Because if I can go to the ABC Islands, I'm going to go there because I really like the ABC Islands a lot. But also, you know, if I get to go to uh, maybe I like Cozumel more than Nassau, generally speaking. I love Roatan, Honduras. I love Grand Turk. Uh, but there's also something to be said for ports I have not yet been to. There's quite a few. I haven't been to Bonaire. It's one of the ABC Islands. And I haven't been there. I've only been to Curacao and Aruba once. So I got to get back there. Haven't been to St. Martin, haven't been to Jamaica. You know, there's still a lot of Caribbean ports that I have to explore. And there are no Caribbean ports that I don't want to go back to. There are no Caribbean ports that I'm like, yeah, I've been there once. I don't need to go back to any of those. And by Caribbean, I'm talking Mexico, Bahamas, anywhere in that vicinity. So where are the ports? Show me the ports. I want to know what ports you're going to. That's important. Get it? It's important. Okay. Number one on the list are the excursions. So once I've got all of this figured out, I've figured out when I'm going, who I'm going with, what kind of cabin I'm staying in, how long I'm going to go for, where I'm sailing out of, what I can afford to spend, uh, what cruise line it's going to be on, what ship it's going to be on, and where it's going to sail to. Now i got to figure out what I'm doing. And some of you out there may be going, wait a minute, isn't this something you do after you've booked your cruise? No, 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 no. This is not usually the strategy that I use. Excursions are the main reason that I sail. Getting to these ports and going out and doing the fun is what I'm all about. So if uh, if if I book a cruise and I'm going somewhere and there's nothing I really want to do. Or maybe there's another cruise that's very similar but has some really fun stuff. 
I'm always going to lean towards that one. So the maybe last thing that I do, and maybe in some ways the most important thing is I try, there it is again, import, import, and okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Anyway, um, is I look at the excursions and see what I can do when the ship is docked. So excursions are super important. If I find an excursion that looks really fun, then I'm good. But if I go to some of these different port stops and there's not much there, I may go all the way back to one of the earlier steps and start over again. I may go back as far as going to look at the home port. I may even go back to reassessing, hey, do I really need that balcony? Can I maybe I can deal with an interior and get somewhere that has a better port or a better uh, excursion. So that is kind of my quick hit top 10 list of things that I look for when I am getting ready to book a cruise, how I sort of make my decisions on what cruise I'm going to be on. And of course, uh, this is not usually just me that's making these choices. I have to also consult with the people I'm cruising with to make sure that we are all in agreement. Sometimes that takes a little bit of compromise to make sure that everybody gets the cruise that's right for them, uh, which also can lead to people that you may or may not want to cruise with. Because if you're cruising with somebody that insists on doing everything together and doesn't want to do the same kind of things as you, that might be a pretty difficult hill to climb. So uh, that there's there's a lot of ways around that. You don't have to be with the people you're cruising with all the time, but sometimes it just depends. And sometimes that's just the way it goes. So those are the things I consider. Tell me, what do you think about? What is your top 10 list of things to consider when booking a cruise? Let me know in email form. That is fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your stories. And this week, send me some uh, some lists. I want to know, what are the? how do you plan a cruise? What are your steps you go through? Do you have 10 things you look for? Are there 20 things you look for? Are there three things you like? I don't know if I can afford this cruise. I don't care. Let me know what your thoughts and opinions are on how you look to book a cruise. Okay, we're going to start a new segment this week. This one is called Cruise Statistics. So what the idea here is, is that I'm going to give you some cruise-related statistics. And to kick it off, I've got some interesting stats that Kimbra found for me. And this has to do with the number of people cruising through the last like decade or so. Basically, uh, we've got some numbers for 2009, 17.8 million people took to the high seas, well, and also I think rivers and stuff, on cruises. That's a pretty big number. And this uh, kind of survey we found kind of went through until 2017 and then estimated that in 2018, we were going to see 27.2 million people cruising. Well, they were wrong because those numbers are out now. It's 2019, people. It's, we're almost done with 2019. Turns out 28.5 million people cruised in 2018. That is over 10 million people more than in 2009. Now, I started cruising in around 2011. 11, 2012, somewhere in there. And, uh, and the numbers have grown quite a bit since then. So cruising is just getting more and more popular, which is really exciting because that means that there's going to be more ships and more fun ports to visit and, uh, more availability and, you know, maybe better deals. Who knows? So there's your cruise statistic. The first ever cruise statistic here on fantastic cruising. Now I want to get into some listener emails. Not a lot of emails this week. Send me those emails, folks. Fantasticcruising at gmail.com. Please send them to me so I can read them on the air. It gives me things to talk about, too. And I did get some interesting in information in the last week. One of them was from Tony Dials. I think Tony's has contributed to every single podcast. Somebody out there, see if you can beat this record, okay? So he's, maybe he'll miss a week. I don't know. But uh, right now, I think he's four for four. Well, maybe he's three for three. He might not have been able to contribute on the first one. I don't know. Did he? He might have. I have to go back. Tony, if you did, I'm sorry. But yeah, a great contributor. And uh, and here's here's what he said this week. He actually sent me a text, not an, an email. But uh, he was listening to us talking about 
getting water in your mask when you're you got a beard or a mustache, which he has a beard and a mustache. And he recently bought a full face mask from U.S. Divers from Walmart. And it was like 40 bucks. Now, I have done extensive reviews on these masks on the Cruise Geeks website, but um, I haven't actually reviewed this particular brand. I thought it was interesting. Um, these masks are great for, for snorkelers. They have a really wide field of view. They are really comfortable for a lot of people who aren't super comfortable with the traditional mask and snorkel. Now, he said that this one was marketed as a free diving mask. These are not going to be great for free diving to deep depth. So like if you're swimming down five, 10 feet, you're probably okay. The problem with going deeper than that is you've got this big air bubble on your head that's going to want to float, but also it's going to contract. That air is going to compress. It's going to pull your eyeballs out, you know, like, like a, I don't know what, it's just going to pull out your eyeballs. So <laughs> how do you how do you deal with that? Because that would happen with any mask. Well, you just blow air into that with your nose and you equalize that pressure. So you add more air, basically. Well, that's easy to do when you have a low volume of air in front of your eyes. But with one of those full face masks, you're going to use all your lung air for that. And you won't be able to stand or water as long. But the, the really cool thing about this mask that Tony was talking about, and he's got some pictures of it. He put it up in the Fantastic Cruising community. And water does get in where his beard is, but it goes out of a valve down by the chin. So I don't know if this is something that would work for me necessarily, but I am really curious about it because the ones that I've tried, the water came in so fast that it, the valve couldn't actually empty out quick enough. And then when I swam underwater, the water just poured in. Then obviously it wasn't going out because I was completely submerged. So maybe it was the angle I was keeping my head at. Maybe it's something about this design. It really makes me want to go out to Walmart. I think Kimber just told me they're like 35 bucks now at Walmart. So maybe I'll have to go out and try one, you know, for science and uh, and check it out and see if it works a little bit better. That could be an answer. If you have facial hair, you don't want to, you know, lube up the mustache with a bunch of Vaseline or or something like that or shave it off. Uh, that could that could help you out. And the beard, you know, that's even more hair. So thank you, Tony, for contributing there. And um, yeah, I'd like to see, show me some videos of you with that because I'm really curious about it. I, I'm, I don't know. I might have to go check that out myself. Really cool. If you guys have information like that, that is super helpful and beneficial to not only me, but to listeners. So definitely share those stories over on the cruising community. And also you can send me emails, fantasticcruising at gmail.com. And, uh, and we can talk about that stuff. So really cool stuff. The other one is also kind of related to snorkeling. This is from Jennifer and Jennifer asked a question about snorkeling, but she's got sort of a follow-up question. And the new question is about sun protection while snorkeling, which let me tell you something. If you're one of those people that thinks you don't sunburn very easily, one, if you're like from the Midwest or somewhere North there, the sun is different down here. And two, when you're on the water, that sun just reflects and it burns easily. Cloudy days are notorious for getting sunburns because you think you're safe and you're not. Here's her question. Uh, she wants to know, are the reef safe sunscreens waterproof? We'll talk about that in a second. Maybe SPF clothing would be a better option. I really need to avoid getting too much sun. What would you suggest? So here's what I would suggest. First of all, let's talk about reef safe sunscreens. That is a topic of controversy. And the reason it's a topic of controversy is because uh, one, sunscreens, most of them, if not all of them, have some things in there that are almost definitely harmful to coral reefs. The problem is the oils and different chemicals that keep that sunscreen from coming off of your skin in the water also produce an oily film and that oily film blocks some of the natural sunlight, which coral needs in order to feed from its zooxanthellae algae that it grows on its skin. So the more people that are in the water, I just talked about cruise statistics, more of us in the water, we got to be better stewards of the ocean. One of the ways we can do that is to be careful about our sunscreen. Now, here's the, here's the controversial part. Okay, I don't think anybody's uh, really arguing that sunscreen's probably not great for the coral reefs. There's probably somebody out there, but they just need to look at the science. But anyway, uh, here's the thing. Anybody can put the words 
reef safe on a bottle of sunscreen. There's nobody regulating that right now. And so there are some sunscreens out there that are mineral-based that claim to be reef safe. And they might be. There's a, there's a, this is where the science is not very clear. We just don't know for sure the impact of these sunscreens. They're probably better than some of the ones that have certain these certain chemicals in there, but we really just don't know. There are a few sunscreens out there that um, that are probably better than others. But here's here's what I'm going to tell you, okay? Because none of these reef safe sunscreens that I've tried are very effective. They don't work really well. They, they're kind of waterproof. You need protection from the sun, okay? I would say this. Yes, please try and use reef-safe sunscreens. I'm not going to give you specific, too specific of a brand because that information is constantly changing. So do some research to try and find that out at the current time you're purchasing stuff. I have used the mineral-based ones, uh, but what I would recommend when you're snorkeling, look, if you're out there snorkeling, do you really need to make a fashion statement? Do you really need to be out there uh, without your shirt and your bikini, whatever? No, that's not why you're there. You're there to enjoy the environment. Protect that environment. Wear clothing. Wear an SPF shirt. I always wear a shirt. Usually these days, I like to wear the ones, the swim shirts that have like the little neck piece and um, they have long sleeves. I even went as far as to recently buy a shirt that has a hood on it, because as many of you know, I am um, a little lacking in the head hair department. And so I can just pull this hood up over my head, and then I don't really have to use hardly any sunscreen at all. And so I'm gonna try to reduce the amount of sunscreen that I'm using. That's the most important thing. Just try and reduce the amount of sunscreen. And then I'm going to try to use reef safe sunscreens, but I don't always do that because I really don't want to get sunburned. So um, my best advice would be to, yes, if you're out there snorkeling, your back's up, shining in the sun, the best bet you have is to cover your skin with fabric. <laughs> and they make some really nice, some people call them rash guards, um, some people call them swim shirts. Uh, you can wear any shirt that you want. And a lot of the swim guards and stuff, they'll have like SPF ratings on there and stuff. But um, I like the ones that are quick dry, which most of the rash guards are, they're going to dry. So you get out of the water, you're not going to be wet too long. I've worn regular t-shirts to snorkel and dive in and they've, they're fine. That's great. But when you get out of the water, you're carrying a lot of extra weight around and it takes them forever to dry. So, you know, use your judgment there, but uh, definitely clothing is the way to go. Protect your skin. Okay, that's going to protect your skin the best. It's going to protect the reef the best. It's going to keep everything as happy as it possibly can be. That's my that's my little bit of advice. Okay, well, we're about ready to wrap up this episode. Before I go, a couple more things I just wanted to go over. One, we are just a little less than a month away from Inktober. If you're not familiar with that, basically, October is a month when people that are artistically inclined enjoy drawing in ink. And it might be digital ink or it might be actual ink on paper. I like to do a little combo of the two. And uh, the way it works is we use word prompt lists. And so there's there's one provided that's kind of the official Inktober list. I've never really used that one. It's it's all right. The prompts could be something specific, you know, like vampire, or it could be an action word like running, or uh, it could be a little tiny phrase. But anyway, I'm going to do Inktober this year. It'll be my third year doing Inktober. It is quite a marathon, 31 days of drawing every single day, but it's good for flexing the artistic muscle and getting an exercise and also the creative muscle a little bit. So I really, it's something I, it's a challenge, but I really enjoy it. This year for the prompt list, I'm going to kind of kick it over to you guys. So on the Fantastic Cruising community, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a post up. And by the time this comes out, I think that post will be up or soon after. And I'm going to be asking you guys for word prompts. And I'll maybe I'll post a couple of uh, lists from different years so you can see the kind of things that, that, uh, that people put on these lists. But what I'm going to ask for you is for them to be 
nautical themed, cruise themed. If you want them to just be Halloween themed, that's okay. But I'm going to pick my favorite 31 from this list. That's right. I'm going to pick them. <laughs> so, cause I know it'll happen. You'll give me some crazy hard thing to draw. But anyway, uh, if you have some funny stuff, some scary stuff, I don't care. Just throw the ideas out there. Nothing, you know, it's all got to be fairly PG-13 rated or, or less. But uh, but put them in the list. And then, and then when I do Inktober, if I make this challenge, I made it the last two years. I made it. I'm going to try and make it again. Maybe you'll see some of those things come up in Inktober. But until then, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to help support the podcast, please go over to iTunes and give this a written review. Also, giving it a star rating is super helpful. Also, give me any feedback that you want. You can send me emails at fantasticcruising at gmail.com and just let me know how I'm doing. Are you enjoying the podcast or the things you like to see? Give me your ideas. I can't promise you I'll implement all of them, but I'll certainly take them into consideration. And if you really want to help me out, head over to Teespring and buy some of those new Teespring merchandise things or go over to Patreon and at the $5 level, uh, you can be a supporter. At the $10 level, you get right now a hand-drawn postcard from me. And at the $20 level, you get an art print. So uh, if you're interested in supporting the, the podcast financially, that is how you can do it. Go over to patreon.com slash fantasticcruising. Anyway, I really appreciate everybody listening and joining in. Until next time, everybody, have a fantastic week. Creatures! Maybe romantic. So uh, thanks for hanging out here. I'm starting a new tradition. Every time I finish a podcast, I get ice cream. That's the new tradition. That's me opening a drumstick right now. So I'm just going to hmm, I'm just gonna open this ice cream. You know, they have those mukbang or whatever videos on YouTube where people watch people eat food. I don't really get that, but... Whatever, you show them. Maybe I could start a new fab of people listening to me eat on the podcast. It'd be like, listen to Matt talk with his mouth full. I mean, is it still rude if you can't see it? I don't think so. I think it's just fine. To be honest with you, I'm really just doing this because I'm a little OCD. And I wanted to make sure that this episode hit at least 60 minutes. So I had a one hour. This is a good drumstick. It's strawberry, by the way, with nut topping. That's, a real, that's really the right way to do a drumstick is with the nut topping. you got to do the nut topping. Mm. It's really hot right now in Florida. The heat index is like off the roof so all right well mm. I don't think I'm quite there yet almost to the cone I bet I could I bet I could finish this ice cream cone in less than a minute but I'm not going to do that because an ice cream cone should be savored and enjoyed, not horfed down. I say that as a very guilty ice cream horfer. Hmm. Yep.
very good stuff. I'm gonna get at least a, I'm gonna get at least a crunch the cone for you guys, and then we'll call it a night or a day. That's good right there. This ice cream cone is fantastic. All right, goodbye everybody. <laughs>